For over 40 years, Ermi has been an industry leader in educating and informing insurance and risk management professionals. This podcast explores current subjects in the insurance industry. Find out more about our podcast at ermi.com. Hello, this is Joel Applebaum, Chief Content Officer at Ermi, and joining me today is Rob Galbraith, author of Amazon bestseller, The End of Insurance as We Know It. Rob, tell us a little bit about yourself and what makes you the most interesting man in insurance. It's great to be here, Joel. Thank you so much for the invitation for being on. So what I tell people is that I personally am not very interesting, but I've had some pretty interesting experiences in insurance because of my role. Uh, so prior to my current role as the Director of Innovation at AF Group, I spent almost 20 years at USAA. Most of that was as a Director of Underwriting Research. And in that role, I had the opportunity to uh, chase uh, hailstorms out in the Great Plains for a week to learn kind of how hail was formed and the different shapes and sizes and the damage that it can cause. I've had the opportunity to be in a helicopter with the fire department of San Diego, kind of looking at their wildfire risk and what they're doing to help mitigate it uh, in Southern California. I've had the opportunity to do live TV interviews, even do Spanish language TV, talking about the importance of insurance and making sure that you have proper coverage ahead of hurricane season and other catastrophes. I've even had the experience of being in the big island in Hawaii and giving a talk on wildfire while actually uh, being there during a 6.9 magnitude earthquake, which led to all the lava flows in 2018 that caused so many issues. So uh, like I said, I've had just some very unique experiences in the field, and it's really all because of my job. So I myself am uh, fairly boring, but I've had some uh, very interesting experiences within the industry, which makes me uh, passionate about it. I love being in insurance. Awesome. So what do you feel is the current state of our insure tech? You know, it, it seems to be a big buzzword in our industry. And, you know, I'd like to know how you feel it affects the lives of our ERMI customers. So, you know, ERMI is very passionate about teaching knowledge transfer, making sure people understand the coverage and can be as professional as possible. So what do they need to know about the current state of insure tech? So what I tell people, Joel, is, you know, I think um, there was a time when uh, Silicon Valley had a playbook for disrupting different industries and they would kind of go into the industry, quickly learn as much as they could about that industry um, and then devise ways to do it better, faster, cheaper. And I tell a story in the book, uh, The End of Insurance as We Know It, about a gentleman uh, by the name of Victor that came to a CPCU annual meeting one year in Indianapolis. And he said he was from Silicon Valley, and that was very unusual. So I kind of asked him, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I'm here to learn uh, about everything about your industry. And I said, well, this is a good place to start, but there's a lot to know about the insurance industry. And he said, yeah, you know, we're going to come back and disrupt you, and you'll be all out of a job in a year. Well, Happy to report it's 2019. We're all still gainfully employed in the insurance industry. Um, but, you know, there are some pretty revolutionary technologies that are out there. Um, I've had the privilege of seeing a lot of them firsthand. And what motivated me to write the book was um, I was in a lot of meetings where I would walk out of that meeting an hour later and say, I just glimpsed, glimpsed the future of the insurance industry 10 years from now. That's what it's going to look like. This technology that's cutting edge today is probably going to be in widespread use from 10 years from now. 
it's going to unlock a whole lot of different possibilities. And it wasn't just one technology or one area of the insurance value chain. It was really all of them. So what I would say for uh, folks that rely on, on ERMI, that subject matter expertise and discipline knowledge is still going to be as critical as ever. But also, we kind of need to be um, aware of what technologies are out there and how they are changing the industry and how the products are changing, distribution channels are changing, the way we do claims. Uh, you know, so many different aspects of the value chain are changing, and these technologies enable uh, the possibility of those changes. So in some ways, we were kind of limited uh, before by what we were able to do. And so we kind of learned, well, this is the way it is, and here are the reasons why. Well, if those reasons go away, it opens up a world of possibility. So it's still important to be a domain expert, but it's also important to recognize that um, things change, and we live in a world of accelerating change, different customer needs. And so I think it's important to really have kind of one foot in the traditional world, but one foot um, learning about what's going on with InsureTech. Awesome. So, you know, one of the things that ERMI focuses on are, are things that, you know, affect us right here in our, our country, things that have to be done here. You know, we focus on construction, agriculture, energy, these industries because they're here and because they're very dangerous and there's a lot of risk associated with them and transportation being another one. Um, but particularly related to agriculture where you, you and uh, our expert uh, Donna Wright have, have worked together, you, you've had some interesting conversations. Where do you see the integration of InsureTech and agriculture intersecting? So one of the exciting things that is out there is sensors. Uh, we talk about big data and we talk about uh, artificial intelligence or AI quite a bit. Uh, but what's enabling that are sensors that are out there. And so we typically think of these as maybe telematics and vehicles or those kind of water shutoff valves that you might see in smart home applications. But really, these sensors come in all shapes and sizes that can measure all sorts of things. They can measure soil moisture levels. They can kind of uh, take uh, measurements of crop growth, uh, you know, diseases, things like that. And so I just saw an announcement last month that there's a company in, in uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba, that talked about the first uh, InsureTech platform uh, for agriculture. And so they're integrating all sorts of uh, sensors along with um, computer vision, uh, drones, imagery, um, all kind of wrapped up into just this wealth of knowledge and data and allows both uh, farmers uh, to, to monitor their crops, but also to see maybe if there's some risks uh, out there that they could potentially mitigate. And then if a claim were to occur, maybe you've got a, a flood or disease or some type of disaster, uh, to be able to quickly um, integrate that as part of a claims and get money in the hands of farmers that really desperately need it much quicker than the current process today. Great. I mean, I think that would be something that would be very welcome. I guess, you know, um, I'm sensing that you don't see InsureTech as a, a threat to the insurance industry from your book that you've published and by your comments. But how do you suggest, you know, the, the young agents of today or underwriters today embrace InsureTech? What, what do they do to gain the knowledge they need to be successful and utilize it as a tool to better serve their clients? That's a great question, Joel. It, it is a tool. Um, you know, we've been reading about the uh, 
expected demise of agents and underwriters for the past 20 or 30 years. And the good news is those folks are still with us. The analogy that I like to draw is uh, WebMD for medicine. So if I have a pain in my knee, you know, it could be a cartilage tear, it could be a strained muscle, it could be an arthritis, it could be a number of things. I may do some research online digitally to learn about you know, my symptoms and try to diagnose it myself. But at a certain point, I would need a medical degree, right, <laughs> to have a, a true diagnosis. And I would need access to all sorts of um, equipment that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars, an MRI or something, to really know what's going on. So at some point, I'm going to go to see the expert. It's going to be a doctor. And I'm going to come in as a much more informed uh, patient than I was before because I've done some of this research and because I can describe my symptoms and I have may have more directed questions uh, for that physician. And so a physician that kind of welcomes that type of patient to come in that's already done some homework and is knowledgeable, now they may have to correct some, some biases or misperceptions that I'm coming into the door with. But ultimately, hopefully that leads to a more robust dialogue and a, a, a more informed consumer that can make better choices about their medical care. It's no different in insurance. So at some point, you're going to need to see the expert. You're going to need to talk to an agent. You don't want to uh, become licensed yourself, right? And that's what it would really take. Um, the same thing from an underwriter standpoint. You're going to be able to uh, take some more complex risks and hopefully streamline some of the, the easier ones through straight through processing and focus on the more complex risks. But risks that maybe you couldn't handle or didn't have capacity to handle in the past with some of this technology, maybe you are now able to write those risks profitably. So I think it really is a mindset and it's really about embracing this as a tool that can help you in your role no matter what uh, position you play in the insurance world. That's an interesting perspective. You know, one of the things that I've seen already talked about, we're going to have a, in November, um, the construction insurance conference, and we're going to have a a Texpo there. And one of the uh, people that's going to be presenting there talks about the ability to do more safety and risk management engineering through video cameras and using technology to spot potential sources of risk ahead of time where they couldn't have covered that with people. So I think that's kind of a, a cool example. And I'm, I'm wondering if you might give me an example of how InsureTech could help other risk managers. Yeah, I think there's two in particular that kind of get me excited. One is one that we're piloting at AF Group right now, which is wearables. Uh, so we had an on-site pilot at our AF Group headquarters in Lansing, Michigan, and are going to be rolling this out to our first policyholder uh, that's a trucking manufacturer uh, in early September. Uh, we've got some applications in uh, other manufacturing environments as well. So we're going to be piloting this with customers over the next uh, 12 months or so. And these devices are kind of worn. They kind of um, you know come into work in the, the morning, start your shift. Uh, you punch in a code, log into a base station, you grab the device, you slip it into an armband, a similar armband that you might have if you're going to go work out and you listen to your uh, you know, music on your iPhone or whatnot, and you kind of go about your day. And what's neat about these uh, wearables, and this is from a company called Make You Safe, and there's several companies that are out there that, that perform different wearables doing different things, but they're all, I think, very interesting propositions. You know, what the folks at Make You Safe will tell you is on a manufacturing floor, uh, there may be a thermometer on the wall that says it's 72 degrees, but maybe for a particular employee, they have to work between two pieces of heavy machinery. And so their personal temperature that they're experiencing may be 
you know, 88 degrees, 94 degrees or whatnot. So maybe they need more breaks or they need more hydration, right? Um, and so kind of knowing what that particular worker is experiencing through his or her day from this wearable devices, being able to maybe notify a safety manager that's monitoring some of these devices and dashboards to kind of intervene, give them a break before, uh, or maybe there's a, an area on the factory floor where we're seeing a lot of slips and falls. Uh, many times those things don't get reported today, particularly if somebody doesn't get seriously injured. But you would want to know that as a safety manager, right? And maybe there's some flooring or some differences that you could make in terms of the, the shoes. So I, I think wearables have tremendous potential. And I also think, uh, to, as you described, computer vision, right? So many uh, facilities have cameras that are kind of constantly monitoring. And I've talked to professionals at Michigan State University and others that they said, not only can we have facial recognition software like Facebook and like your iPhone can unlock your iPhone today, but um, everybody actually has a unique gait, a unique walk. Um, and so you can kind of identify folks on a factory floor and you might be able to see that somebody's uh, fatigued. I know um, some grocery stores already have this where they're kind of monitoring for slips and falls throughout. And they'll tell you that the most slips and falls happen behind the deli counter, right? And so they can kind of um, detect that and, and note it sort of right away before it um, gets reported as a claim to a, a carrier, which we know is actually um, happens much less frequently than these actual uh, slips, trips, and falls that occur every day. Cool. In the um, agriculture realm, I'm wondering how you think this some of these technologies might apply to make um, better farm risk management. Yeah, I think just similarly to kind of what we were describing, um, having remote sensors and having a plethora of sensors. You know, there's always been some sensors that are kind of out there and, and have been used in agriculture now for, for decades. Um, but what you haven't seen is really the scale. So the ability, the miniaturization, the ability to make these things really cheap is going to allow you to deploy many more of them uh, out in the fields. And so uh, it, it, in the past, you might have viewed it as a dashboard, right, <clears throat> getting all this information from these sensors that you've deployed. Uh, but if you have a wealth of them, you're not going to be able to monitor them all yourself. And so you're going to need some type of AI to make sense of all this data behind the scenes. Um, but I think with that much data and then algorithms that are kind of constantly learning behind the scenes, they're going to be able to point out a lot of things about your farm that you don't know today um, that, you know, you'll be able to kind of uh, potentially intervene before it becomes too late, right? Before it ends up being a, a claim or, or leads to, to um, loss of crop yield, which obviously leads to, to loss of income. It also hopefully will um, allow for faster payment and, and triage. So again, um, we know that that kind of um, uh, loss of, of potential income is huge um, for farmers. And so if you have some type of parametric trigger that you could tie to that, you know, if, if soil conditions get to a certain level or if drought conditions are at a certain level, um, instead of having to triage and figure out, okay, what was actually lost, if you just say, hey, um, once we get to a certain you know, drought index, I'm automatically going to issue you a payment in your bank account because I know what that's going to do to your crop yield and I know that how that's going to affect your income, I think has uh, humongous potential to really streamline uh, the process for farmers to be able to get money in their hands when they need it the most. It's a big word you use, parametric insurance. <laughs> um, and I'm not sure that a lot of people really understand it, but whether it's farm transportation, construction, or another industry, can you just kind of break down how a consumer could benefit 
from exactly what parametric risk is, which is an agreed upon, I'm assuming, an agreed upon trigger at which if you have the data that says this trigger has been tri tripped, you will go ahead and make payment. Yeah, that's exactly right, Joel. So insurance um, is somewhat unique as a financial instrument uh, compared with stocks, bonds, and others because it's intended to not be speculative. It's intended to put you back to your pre-loss state, no better, no worse. And so that principle is known as indemnification. Um, and so in order to indemnify somebody, you need to figure out, well, you know, what was their pre-loss state? Is this loss covered by the terms of the contract? Many times there's exceptions or exclusions or deductibles or sublimits that might apply. So there's a lot of things that really kind of make insurance complicated. Um, and that process of adjusting a claim and all the different things that you've got to check as a claims adjuster can really uh, make the whole process drag out over months. So if you compare that to parametric, parametric is not trying to necessarily put you back to your pre-loss state. They're trying to, exactly, they're trying to um, take an estimate of what the potential loss would be from a given event and give you that money right away and really kind of bypass a lot of the claims adjustment process. So the example that I think to me resonates the most is um, Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. So you have a catastrophe five hurricane that's uh, hitting Puerto Rico you know the observed wind speed, right? You know the types of homes and businesses, the types of construction. Um, you know, it would take months to actually get claims adjusters to fly out, uh, particularly not just in San Juan, but to get into some of the, the more mountainous regions um, where people really, you know, are living paycheck to paycheck. They don't have a lot of, in terms of emergency savings. They've been devastated by this hurricane event. Um, and so to have to wait months for a claims adjuster just to be able to come out and actually see the damage, the actual adjusting may not take that long, but just the process of having an adjuster go out there and observe the damage and um, determine you know, what's covered and issue payment uh, by itself no, it just takes a long time. Whereas if you kind of said, hey, I know what the wind speed is and I know the type of home you live in and I know what you had inside it, I'm just going to issue a payment, you know in a day, two days, it's a radically different claims experience. And it really helps people get back on their feet much faster. Great. Another big word we hear that seems complicated and we don't always understand is blockchain. So what do you see as the potential for blockchain being? And maybe you could briefly describe what it is. Yeah. So blockchain is one of those, if you look up a definition, oftentimes the definition isn't uh, a better description of what it really is because they can be uh, very technical. But at a very high level, the way I describe blockchain in a very non-technical way is um, digital verification. Uh, so there's many processes throughout insurance where you need to verify something. You may want to verify um, the type of business that's conducted here, right? You may want to know what type of class code. You talked about construction risk. So you know, what type of construction do you do? Do you do any type of roofing or not? Are you in any type of scaffolding, et cetera, right? So there's different class codes. And so you ask all these questions. Uh, and then sometimes you find out that, hey, you told me you don't do any roofing, but now I see a claim come in, right? Or I see you advertising on your website that you do, in fact, offer roofing services. So what if there was a way uh, that all that information was kept and stored and verified and I could just go grab it instead of having to ask all these questions 
and I knew that I could trust it. And oh, by the way, the same place where I get it um, at point of sale and I'm able to kind of underwrite it and, and, and bind and issue the policy, um, if I can rely on it from a claim standpoint, or maybe it's a third-party claimant that's coming in, or maybe it's a medical provider, um, if we were all able to rely on the same blockchain in the way that we all rely on the same internet today, um, we don't have 30 internets, we don't have 300 internets, we have one. And that's what gives the internet its great power is that we're all connected right, via the internet. So if I had a blockchain where all this information was out there, it was verified, um, I don't necessarily have to say, okay, Joel, I need you to fill out all these questions and answer. I could just say, Joel, pass me your blockchain and I'll have everything and I'll have an answer for you, no matter what it is, if it's um, giving you a quote, if it's covering a claim, if it's adjusting your, uh, you know, making adjustments on your policy, whatnot, that I could do that in a minute. So um, there's a lot of um, uh, technical complications and challenges behind it. Um, the purpose is really so that it's it's unhackable. It's it, you can't cheat it, you can't verify it. Um, it powers a lot of the cryptocurrencies today, and unfortunately, a lot of those cryptocurrencies that were supposedly unhackable have in fact been hacked. So the technology isn't really where we need it to be at insurance today. Uh, but there are folks, certainly um, such as the institutes and the Risk Stream Collaborative, that are trying to bring. Uh, many different entities together that are working on developing a solution to really ultimately come up with that single blockchain that um, could be a, a potential game changer in terms of the amount of expense that it cuts out of the equation. So you know, still kind of TBD on whether we'll actually get there or not. Um, you know, I tell people that um, if you look at the expense ratio for the insurance industry, it's been relatively flat over the last 10 years, and it's close to 30%. So that means that 30 cents on every premium dollar is going to cover expenses at some point in the equation. That's a lot if you compare it to a credit card, say, where you have some major banks, you've got fraud, you've got regulation, right? But yet, when you swipe your credit card, only 3% of that cost goes to cover um, all the things that make the ecosystem possible. So insurance is a, a 10 times as more expensive than credit cards. It doesn't seem like it should be, right? Um, I don't think we'll ever get to 3%, but it'd be nice to be in the high single digits, say. So things like blockchain uh, really could reduce the number of expenses because there's so much need for this kind of verifications and checks um, from many different parties in insurance today. If we could wipe out the need for 95% of that, um, that could be huge. Great. So in the next five years, is blockchain hype or happening? I think it's going to be more hype than happening. Um, but the good news is that I see some um, early um, adoption that I think could really move the needle. So, for example, USA and State Farm announced that starting in 2020, they're going to be exchanging claims information with each other via blockchain. If you think about it, those are two of the top five or six auto insurers in the United States. Um, so their uh, drivers hit each other all the time. So to be able to be able to seamlessly pass that information back and forth via the blockchain and save on numerous phone calls and emails or whatnot, um, that could potentially be a, a big savings. I also see it from reinsurance brokers uh, and reinsurers themselves, as well as uh, primary insurers. So anything revolving a, a reinsurance transaction, there's lots of documentation and data that goes back to for back and forth. If all that was able to do on the blockchain, you can reduce the amount of time that it takes to um, you know, issue reinsurance 
uh, each and every year. So um, there's starting to be, and there's, you know, Aon, Guy Carpenter, others behind this. So there's uh, beginning to be some big names that are announcing blockchain uh uh, applications. And so I am very optimistic about it. I think it will take a while to get there, but we're already seeing enough movement that I think there's a there there. Well, awesome. So this is Rob Galbraith, the author of the best-selling book, The End of Insurance as We Know It. If you want more information about his book, you can visit us at ermy.com and click the link at the end of this podcast. We will be able to share more information about where you can read his book and buy it. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Joel. Great to be here. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Find out more information on our free podcast at ermy.com under the My Ermy Online button.